You're a busy provider trying to stay current with the latest HIV testing, prevention, and treatment guidelines, and your pockets are overflowing with note cards. You need a convenient, trustworthy source for HIV testing, treatment, prevention, and care protocols. All healthcare professionals have a role in stopping HIV. Introducing HIV Care Tools from the AIDS Education and Training Center program. The HIV Care Tools mobile app is simple, free, and fully functional offline or online. It features quick guides for HIV prevention, screening, testing, diagnosis, and treatment. HIV Care Tools provides common clinical calculators used in HIV management and provide validated screening tools for comorbidities such as depression, substance use disorders, and PTSD. And if you need clinician-to-clinician consultation, HIV Care Tools provides one-touch access to free clinical consultation services by a multidisciplinary team of experts. Take us with you. Download HIV Care Tools today. Welcome to Nika in the Know, a podcast for healthcare providers in the HIV field. I'm Mariana Breitman. Today, I'm sitting down with John Farragon to talk about a recent update to lenacapavir, a medication that we've discussed in several past episodes. Welcome again, John. Yeah, thanks, Mariana, for having me back again and talk about this uh, this topic. So, John, what is the latest on lenacapavir? What has changed recently that's of note for HIV care providers? Yeah, so I think um, the biggest update is that I think it, for everybody, if you haven't heard this already, lenacapavir was was approved by the FDA um, in December of 2022, so late last year, and um, we've we've reviewed um, the, the the different cuts of the data over the past year uh, that have been presented at Croy and other meetings uh, last year, uh, but now the FDA has actually approved this formally, and so um, the current use is for going to be in heavily treatment experienced patients. Um, who have multi-drug resistant HIV-1 infection. So just remember, lenacapavir is the capsid inhibitor. So it works in the beginning of this life cycle and at the end of the life cycle, both when capsid is being uh, kind of dissolved and when capsid is kind of re- being rebuilt. So, so many of you uh, may remember the Capella study, and that's the study that we're going to talk about a little bit. Um, it was a 52-week study of persons on HIV uh, with HIV on lenacapavir plus that optimized background regimen. So basically these are treatment experienced patients that are viremic, that don't have a lot of options left, um, resistance to at least two of the four classes of drugs, you know, not a lot of options left. And basically they gave people on a capavir uh, plus an optimized background regimen, which means that they take a look at the person's resistance test and they, and they allow the experts that are dealing with those patients to kind of pick the best regimen uh, in addition to the lenacapavir. And if you look at those patients, the at least in the randomized cohort, there were uh, 83% of people attained an HIV undetectable viral load, so really good numbers. And uh, and if you if you had more active medications in the background regimen, the, the numbers got even better, and you were with over 90% of people getting undetectable. So so what I thought I would do today is really just kind of do like a top line overview of the label, Mariana. And I think this is important just so people know what's in there. You know, a lot of times you you hear about the studies and know how they're designed, but, you know, what's actually in the label at the end of the day is really what we need to be following when we're trying to figure out where to use this drug and and how to use it. So the first thing I'll do is just review a couple options for initiation. So as you, as you may or may not remember, 
the lenacapavir, the 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 most important piece of this drug is that it's a it's a sub Q every six month injection. All right, but there's um there's a couple of ways to initiate the drug, and you need to initiate the drug both with not only the the injectable but also with, with oral medications as well. So there's two ways to do it. In the studies that that we're talking about today, like the Capella study, they did kind of this long term. Uh, initiations where, where on day one and two, they got 600 milligrams um, of, of drug. And then on day eight, they got 300 milligrams of drug. Uh, and this, that, that those were both oral doses. And then on day 15, they got their first uh, two times 1.5 ml injections, a total of 927 milligrams. It's just the dose of the two uh, sub-Q injections. That's option two. Option one, the one I think most people go with is a lot simpler where you give the two sub-Q injections and 600 milligrams of oral lenacapavir on day one. And on day two, you give lenacapavir uh, 600 milligrams orally again. And then basically every six months you give, you give the drug. So the most important thing here is I think um, two different ways of doing it. If you look at the, uh, the, the simplified regimen versus the, so that's option one versus option two, the more complex one that they used in the very beginning the the PK curves of lenacapavir, you know, if you follow it out to six months, are almost superimposable. So the drug levels that you get using either initiation regimen, either option, will get you to steady state. This probably in the same period of time um, for lenacapavir, regardless of how you do it. So um, oral dosing with tablets could be taken with or without food. Um, again, the sub Q dosing is done this way. It's two 1.5 ml injections uh, required for a complete dose, which is a total of 927 milligrams. Um, one thing that's important is that if you're beyond 28 days, I'm sorry, 28 weeks since your last injection, you have to restart initiation from day one. So basically, it gives you about roughly a two-week window period um, for for when you have to restart the drug. So what that means is that if you if you're more than two weeks late for getting the medication at your six-month point, you would have to restart the the um, the the option one or option two for for oral and injectable loading again. So it's a little bit a little bit tricky, um, but know that these drugs, if you don't show up on time, it's very similar for cabopivirine, although there's a different there's a different number for that. But um, you know, kind of window, but you got to make sure you show up, and you got to make sure people are scheduled and, and are going to show up for their for their visit. Or I don't think people would do this at home, but it's a possibility because it is a sub Q injection. But I think most people probably do this in clinic. Um, and so, you know, if, if you're in that setting, you just have to make sure that you that you restart the drug um, using uh, using one of those uh, re restarting options, uh, option one or option two. What about any contraindications or warnings? What do we need to keep an eye out for in terms of that? Yeah, so also very important, Mariana, it's most important, the, the contraindications, right? So make sure you avoid this with strong CYP3-4 inducers. And, and I think many people know what these are, but like St. John's Ward, for example, um, carbamazepine, for example, phenobarb, phenytoin, um, oxcarbazepine, there's some, you know, some nuances there, but, you know, for the most part, you want to avoid those drugs. Also, the right, the right uh, rifampin, rifabutin, rifapentine drugs, you want to make sure you're avoiding those. Those are the strong CYP3A4 inhibitors, which will actually decrease the drug levels. Um, also, in the warnings and precautions section, as a reminder to providers, and this, if there's one thing you hear today, just listen to this, and I think this is true also of, of, of cabropivirine 2 injection, is that there is residual drug levels that remain in the circulation um, for lenacapavir for up to six months or longer after that dose has been given and after the drug has been stopped. So really, um, if, if the drug is discontinued, um, 
you have to make sure that people are on a suppressive regimen no later than 28 weeks after that final injection. And then also knowing that for 12 months or longer, that drug level is actually still there. So, so the, the concern here is that, you know, there are some drug interactions, which I'll cover in a minute. And you have to make sure that you're not putting people on drugs that may interact even after you potentially stop the one cap of your injections, right? So that's really a, an important an important piece. But more importantly, making sure they're covered from an HIV standpoint with some kind of a regimen during that time period of you, if you if you've stopped it. Um, for administration, you want to make sure you, you give it as soon as um, it's withdrawn from the vial, and then we they recommend abdominal administration uh, is recommended. So usually it's going to be about about two inches. Um, from each shot. So you give one shot on one side, maybe one shot on the other, at least two inches apart and abdominal um, sub-Q injections is the way is the way to give this. Um, the injection site reactions do occur with this and it may actually last for a significant period of time. And some of the patients, um, even through 52 weeks of therapy, they still had um, swelling, pain, erythema, nodule and iterations for, for a period of time. So the nodules and the indurations are probably the most concerning um, at the, and those are at the injection site, may take longer to resolve than other injection site reactions. So in clinical studies, after median follow-up of 553 days, 30% of nodules and 13% of indurations associated with the first injection had not fully resolved. So that's really the, the big concern here. So also just as an just as important are drug to drug interactions, uh, lenacaptor is a substrate for PGP. UGT1A1 and also CYP3A, and it's also a moderate inhibitor of CYP3A4. So given its long half-life, um, drug interactions can actually be pretty significant even after the dose is administered. Um, providers need to be aware that even after stopping the medications, levels may still be leading to drug-drug interactions, and I think that's what we're kind of talking about here. So a couple comments on drug-drug interactions. So for strong or moderate CYP3A4 inducers, these are drugs that are... Um, may decrease the plasma concentrations of lenacapavir. And so um, with, with lenacapavir, the, the treatment with those drugs are, is going to be contraindicated. Um, the moderate CYP3A4 inducers are usually going to not be, not be recommended. Uh, if you combine PGP, UGT1A, and strong CYP3A4 inhibitors, that's also going to be a problem. And combine uh, strong CYP3A4 inhibitors may significantly increase the plasma concentrations of lenacapavir. So concomitant administration is, is not recommended. So what I'll do now, Mary, just kind of quickly, I just encourage everybody to look at the label and also make sure you run a drug-drug interaction checker um, before you do this, whether it's the Liverpool checker. Um, our our um, our DHHS apps will be updated with this information soon, but some drug-drug interaction highlights, things to avoid, rifampin, rifibutin, and rifapentine right now, I think, and most of the older anticonvulsants like carbamazepine, oxcarbazepine, phenobarb, and phenytoin. So those are the cop drugs that I talk about. Um, those drugs should be avoided. Um, herbal therapy like St. John's wort, all of these are due to reductions in lenacapavir. So the induction from these meds, it makes your uh, metabolizing enzymes work faster, and it can drop drug levels significantly to, to lead to reductions there. Um, use caution due to increased levels of certain meds because lenacapavir is actually a moderate CYP34 inhibitor, and it also affects PGP. So it can increase levels of like drugs like digoxin. Some of the direct oral anticoagulants, especially rivaroxaban, dibigatran, and indoxaban, can have their levels increase some of the statins, in particular lovastatin and simvastatin. And even some of the narcotic drugs like oxycodone and fentanyl and even buprenorphine and, and possibly tramadol as well, uh, these medications may have their levels increased by patients who are on lenacapavir at the same time. 
So again, remember what I'm saying before I said before too, because the half-life is so long and it hangs out for even after you stopped giving the shots, you've got to think about these interactions down the road too, because even like a couple months after you've given, maybe you've given the last shot and you, and you've stopped it for some reason, you have to think about the potential interactions with oxycodone or simvastatin down the road because the patient has received, uh, has received the, the lenacapavir. So it's a little, little complex. One of the most important things here is what about HIV meds and darunavir with ritonavir, Kobe are okay. Um, TAF is okay. Dolutegavir, uh, and even most other meds that are not CYP mediated, um, all could be given. You want to avoid these with the fabrins and the verapine due to induction and then reduced levels of lenacapavir as well can occur there. Um, and since lenacapavir is a moderate CYP3-4 inhibitor, you know, some of these drug levels can, can be changed. Um, I just encourage you to really, again, use that Liverpool site. It's very good for now. And our DHHS apps are going to be updated with this information soon uh, as well once we get, uh, once we get our... Um, all of, all of the, these interactions into the new database. And what should providers keep in mind in terms of dosing in patients with renal or liver disease? Yes, yeah, so this comes up a lot too, Mariana. People want to know like what happens if somebody has, they're on dialysis or they have liver disease or they're cirrhotic, I mean, what do we do? So it's a great question. I think it's an important one clinically. So no dose adjustments are recommended in patients with mild, moderate, or severe renal impairments. So that's down to an estimated creatinine clearance of 15 mils per minute. So those of you who know creatinine clearances, this is where, where our, our body uh, clears um, creatinine through our through our kidneys. And the lower that number, the worse it is. And 15 mils is the cutoff. There is no data though in end-stage renal disease. So, so for anybody who's on dialysis, we wouldn't be able to use this here. Um, no dosage adjustment is recommended in patients with mild or moderate um, hepatic impairment. That's the child's class A and child's class B has not been studied in child's class C, so we don't know the answer to that. Again, remember the studies here are very, very small. It's talking about 70, 75 patients at most in these studies. There's not a lot of these patients left that are still kind of in this setting where they have really no options. Um, another thing that's important too, from a cardiology standpoint, people do worry about QT prolongation, and they actually looked at exposures of unacapavir that, that were ninefold higher than the therapeutic exposures have found no, no effect on, on QT prolongation. So that's also important too. It comes up quite a bit uh, with, with not only with the antiretrovirals, but with other drugs as well, like methadone and uh, some of our some of our quinolone antibiotics and you know some of our old uh, some of our um, our antipsychotic drugs, et cetera, and even Zofran, for example, we use for nausea. Sometimes this comes up, so it's an important one. As we begin to wrap up, John, a question that comes to mind is, is this being looked at in other populations besides the highly treatment experienced people with HIV? Yeah, so that's an important point too. So there is some really good data from a treatment naive study called the Calibrate study um, that's been presented, but it's not actually in the label yet. Um, so they haven't, I don't know if they, they may have presented it to the FDA, but it's not in the label um, yet, but I'm cer certainly you know, uh, being studied. And so far from what I've seen that the data, they have data out to 52 weeks, um, which with patients who are treatment naive getting lenacapavir plus some other version of an oral oral regimen on top of it. And patients that have done pretty well. Um, this would be a great drug for PrEP, right, Mariana? So think about this. So right now we have cabotegavir injectable, right, which is an IM injection. It's given every other month. This one is every six months, and some patients may, some providers may say, well, this is going to be better because it's every six months. Well, it's also sub-Q, so that makes it a little bit easier too. Sub-Q is certainly easier than IM injection. The question is, 
do you want to let people go every six months and not get their, you know, we normally recommend STI screening and also, you know, um, HIV testing, you know, at least for oral regimens every three months and maybe every other shot if you're on the Cabinuva and you got to look at the guidelines to figure this out. But the question is, that's going to be a piece. You're going to have to have people still come back in um, for STI probably and also HIV testing. Uh, in if, again, assuming this gets approved for PrEP down the road, but there's three studies uh, that I was, that I'm aware of, uh, the purpose one and purpose two, and Dr. Gillespie uh, reminded me that the HPTN 102 study is also starting as well, which will provide data really across the board, uh, men having sex with men, uh, women, uh, young women, young female adolescents, also in transgender women and men, and also non-binary individuals. So when you look at these different studies, purpose one and purpose two, um, kind of cover a lot of a lot of populations for old for older women that are not adolescents and not considered young that's going to be the hptn study but those two purpose one and purpose two studies will will focus on all of those other populations so those are the people that we need to get uh, you know on, on prep so it's really important so this data is going to be important as we move forward and i'm looking forward to seeing more data on on prep but also in the treatment naive studies and to see wh where this goes um Question is obviously, you know, obviously a question of cost and a question of, you know, is it going to be a buy-in bill or is it going to be, you know, done in the pharmacy? Those are all questions I think we need to talk about uh, maybe at some other time as we move forward uh, with, with this drug. But again, good data and there's going to be, these are some going to be some important um, studies as we move forward. John, thanks so much for joining us and telling us all about the latest with Lenik Hapavir. We really hope you learned something new today. To learn more about Nika AATC's work and our role in ending the HIV epidemic, visit us at www.nikaatc.org. That's www.nikaatc.org. If you have questions or comments about anything we covered today, or if you have suggestions for topics you'd like to hear us talk about, don't hesitate to email us at podcast at nikaatc.org. That's P-O-D-C-A-S-T at nikaatc.org. Stay safe, and we'll see you on Thursday for our next episode of Nika in the Know. This presentation is supported by the Health Resources and Services Administration, HRSA, of the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, HHS. The contents are those of the authors and do not necessarily represent the official views of, nor an endorsement by HRSA, HHS, or the U.S. government.